Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. It's Fantasy Sports Today. It's Fantasy Sports Today, second hour of our show. Craig Mish along with Frank Stanfold here with you for the next hour as we break down everything happening in the world of fantasy sports. And we'll get to all of it in just a second. Uh, Frank, a little bit of a news story interesting uh, today. And I'll tell you, one of the more exciting events that I've been to in sports over the last, let's say, decade was I had a chance to go to the semifinal of the World Baseball Classic in Miami four years ago. And in 2020, they just announced that uh, Miami is not only going to host the semifinals, but also host the championship as well. So uh, have a chance to see the WBC championship. I know that this kind of affects us in fantasy a little bit negatively. If you remember the last time around, uh, the one player in particular, ironically, who we talked to about yesterday on the show was Alex Bregman because he participated in the WBC. He didn't play a lot. Remember, he was a rookie going into that season. And he got off to a really slow start. So it can negatively affect us in fantasy. But from a reality point of view, this was one of the more exciting events that I've been to baseball-wise in the last decade. Yeah, and it was awesome, too. I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I did. But, yeah, four years ago was, you know, a time when I really, really got into it for the first time. And, and it was fun. It was really fun to watch. And, you know, when you said it negatively affected us for fantasy purposes, I thought what you were going to say is when we see players perform well in the WBC, it pushes them way up the draft board. Because I remember that That's happening yeah. with uh, with Adam Jones, who is, you know, no longer in the Major right. League Baseball. I know that he uh, has gone overseas to play professionally but I remember that he had a really really nice world baseball classic and made some phenomenal catches and helped team USA uh, win ultimately in that WBC but because of that he got pushed all the way up the draft board in fantasy drafts so that's where I thought you were going with it but overall I thought that it was a fantastic event as well and look at you you might even be able to go out there and uh, watch the championship in Marlins Park again huh yeah I better be able right I gotta be able to go see that definitely want to see that uh, all right, so that'll be in March of 2021, and uh, only a year till then. All right, we got Dan Strafford on the update next, and then we'll be back with what the Mets plan is at pitcher. We keep an eye on Freddie Freeman in Braves camp. He was scratched from Tuesday's Grapefruit League lineup due to a right elbow inflammation problem. This stems from his surgery back in October. Brian Snicker saying he will most likely be out a couple of days. They want him to rest and get that elbow right. Speaking of elbows, Lance McCullers is going to test his out with a bullpen session at some point on Tuesday. He missed all of 2019, recovering from Tommy John. He should see his first game action in the next few days as well. Yankees manager Aaron Boone said Tuesday that Aaron Judge could get into game sometime next week. Judge, of course, came down with, quote, 
crankiness and soreness in his shoulder upon showing up to camp. Taiwan Walker will not make his Cactus League debut on Thursday against the White Sox. Instead, Walker pitched a simulated game and live batting practice on Monday. On tap in the National Basketball Association on Tuesday night, a great game in the Eastern Conference. Bucks versus Raptors in Toronto. Currently seeing a 2.31 over under on that one. Minus one in favor of the Bucks. Keep an eye on that line throughout the day. Hornets are at the Pacers. Thunder visit the Bulls. Nuggets are hosting the Pistons in Denver. Trailblazers hosting the Celtics in Portland. Pelicans at the Lakers. And the Kings are at the Warriors to round out our NBA slate. It is combine time for the National Football League where all the rumors swirl and hand size keeps being discussed much to many dismay, but Giants general manager Dave Gettleman said his team is, quote, open for business as it pertains to trading back from the number four overall pick. We'll see what comes from that. Titans general manager John Robinson said the organization will, quote, do everything we can, end quote, to keep impending free agent Derrick Henry. Speaking Tuesday, Raiders general manager Mike Mayock admitted his team is open to replacing Derrick Carr at quarterback. I'm Dan Straffer, and this has been your SportsGrid News Update. All right. Thanks very much, Dan. Appreciate it. Dan will be back uh, throughout the day to give you the latest going on in sports. And of course, the combine, as Dan mentioned, is going on right now. And if there's anything breaking with that, they will certainly give it to you. But it's a lot of guys, again, wearing shorts, running around here, looking at how big their hands are. Uh, Okay. So uh, interesting story from this morning, Frank, uh, from Joel Sherman who is reporting that there's a chance that the Mets' fifth starter ends up being a combo starter. Now, this is intriguing because, again, you have two players that both over the last decade have been fantasy-relevant, both in mixed leagues and NL-onlys, maybe more so now in the NL-only format. But with uh, Rick Porcello joining the Mets, I suppose, Frank, he fits into the three or the four spot. We know that DeGrom... And uh, and Syndergaard are going to front this rotation, and they'll just kind of uh, you know piece together the rest here. But what he's saying is essentially in this article is that the fifth spot could be a uh, Matt's start, and then Waka relief or flip flop, where uh, Waka would start, and then Matt's would come in relief, which essentially would zap any fantasy value uh, basically between the two. And he also alluded to the fact that Mets could use an opener and then use those guys in relief. So look. You hear a lot of this kind of talk in the spring, and you don't know how it's going to play out, but whatever the NFBC ranking is on both these guys, and I believe that we talked about Waka last week on the show, and I thought he was going way too low. Well, apparently not, because I don't want any piece of guys who are only pitching two or three innings. You're just guessing uh, in a five-by-five roto who's going to get the win there, and I'm not willing to go down that road. Yeah, I actually love this from a real-life baseball perspective. I think it makes a lot of sense. It kind of reminds me of the opener strategy that the Tampa Bay Rays have used recently where you know they would start off with a reliever for one or two innings and then they would go to a follower or a, a bulk reliever, someone like a Ryan Yarbrough in years past who had thrown you know four or five innings pitched. Uh, but yeah, this definitely, from a fantasy perspective, completely kills both of their value. And it seems like for a while now we've been waiting for Steven Matz to kind of turn into that player we, we've always hoped, but can 
continuously deals with injuries. And when it comes to Michael Waka, uh, doesn't get a lot of strikeouts, walks too many batters as well. He had one or two seasons with the Cardinals where, you know, he was solid from a fantasy perspective. Uh, and I remember he had some prospect pedigree, but hasn't really been able to put it together. Uh, I think it's an interesting strategy, though, just from a real-life perspective for baseball, for the New York Mets. They're trying to think outside the box, and they have their first four set. You mentioned DeGrom and Syndergaard are going to lead that rotation. And then they have Rick Porcello and Marcus Stroman. They traded for Stroman last year as well. Uh, And he made some strides in the second half in August and September in terms of his strikeout rate. So I'm a little excited about Marcus Stroman this upcoming season from a fantasy perspective where he's being drafted right now. Uh, But I agree. When it comes to Mats, when it comes to Waka, based on this, you can't draft these guys. I don't think many people were excited to draft them anyway. Uh, Not good for fantasy. I think it's interesting from a real-life perspective, Craig. Yeah, and even for people who are playing in the NL only format, even to uh, throw a dollar at at either of these two guys, let's just say you know Waka is a two dollar guy and Mats is a three. Uh, you're playing in a weekly league. You don't know who's going to start, who's going to relieve, and you know a good example of that is a very effective pitcher uh, for the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, Ryan Yarbrough, and then even uh, last year Ryan Stanek, who used to open for the Rays. They're effective pitchers. And they're going to give you the GS, the game started, but they're not going to get you wins. It's like clearing the fifth inning with a lead is not something that these guys would do a lot. And the other part of this, Frank, is that maybe what the Mets' plan is is that with this really improved bullpen, and you would have to assume that Diaz is going to be better than he was last year. And, of course, they have Familia. Uh, but, you know, adding Dylan Betances and adding Wilson, maybe the Mets' plan even with the fourth starter could be using a lot of bullpen options I don't think they went out and spent money on the bullpen and even added these guys to to not utilize it. So maybe there's more of a chance that that's a direction the Mets go after they get through Porcello. Yeah, and I think this is an analytics move as well, Craig. We've seen this with the Dodgers recently where you know they let a starting pitcher maybe go two, th- two times through the lineup and they don't let them go that third time through because there's so many analytics that show for most pitchers, the third time through the order, they don't fare well. I know Jake Odorizzi was someone last year. If you look at his numbers, the first two times through the lineup, phenomenal. Anytime he tried to go a third time through the lineup, he would absolutely get destroyed. So I think that lends itself to where the game is going right now analytically as well, where maybe you get uh you get Steven Matz you know one time through the lineup then you get Michael Walker one time through the lineup you know let those guys throw a few innings there and you're right look this bullpen is massively improved Dylan Batances goes from the Yankees to the Mets we know how great he's been as long as he's healthy he's coming off a slightly torn Achilles but uh, by all accounts says he's going to be ready for opening day Seth Lugo actually took over as the closer last year because of how well he pitched Justin Wilson I think was a good signing if they can get Anything out of uh, Jerry's Familia, you know, anything. Because the player that he's been the past couple of seasons is a far cry from the closer he was, you know, even four or five years ago with the Mets. I think it's a really, really good point that this bullpen is severely improved. And I think this is something that they're looking at, you know, analytically, not letting these guys go too far into the game in terms of the starting pitchers here, Craig. Yeah, and historically speaking, just in general, in Major League Baseball, you probably have somewhere between five or ten teams in the game that are literally throwing out some fifth starter that has no business being in in the big leagues and probably ends up being in the bullpen at some point. I'm not sure why it's taking so long for all of these teams to follow in the way of the Rays. And look, you mentioned L.A. Oakland has done it as well. We saw that even in the postseason. They really didn't have anybody to start. We saw the Yankees employ some of that last year. 
I would guess in a couple of years, Frank, we're only going to have four starters in the big leagues, and um, and maybe by next year there'll be ten teams blowing an opener. I just, you know, I don't, I don't know why more teams don't try it, and anything the Rays seem to be doing seems to be working. So, uh, the best, uh, the best thing that you can do, I think, the best compliment that you can make is basically copying another team's success, and I don't see why you wouldn't do that with the Rays, Oakland, L.A., or even New York. All right, we'll be back with some sleeper options in the outfield position. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Fantasy Sports Today. Straight ball, I get it very much. Curveball, that's our friend. Craig Mish and Frank Stanford. You got to take the bats. I offer a cigar, bro. Welcome back, Fantasy Sports. Today, it is Craig Mish and Frank Stamfel with you here on the show. As we take you up until 1 o'clock Eastern, we'll be back tomorrow, though, with our pitcher preview. Now, uh, I will be on the road tomorrow uh, with the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, covering them for the first time this season. So hopefully on Thursday, we'll have some uh, interesting reports uh, with them. And so Frank will be in here. I believe Matt Modica will uh, handle some of the co-hosting duties with Frank tomorrow. But uh, Frank, you know, sleepers in the outfield, this is this is what we love. You know, we can dive into this. We can dig into this. We can go very deep into the ADP because every year there's going to be players that for one reason or another either inherit the playing time from a player that's not playing, get the playing time because of a player that is hurt. And there's such a big pool to choose from. I feel pretty confident that either we'll hit on these sleepers or even if we don't, there's going to be a couple of really impact players that are really not getting drafted in a lot of 12 or 15 team leagues. Yeah, and admittedly, Craig, you go a lot deeper than I do when it comes to the sleepers here. I know that you play in a few mono leagues, some AL only, some NL only leagues. So you've really got to you got to dig deep there. You got to find some you know prospects, maybe some uh, names that no one's really looking at, no one's paying attention to, who might have an opportunity to play. And that's exactly what I see here on your list. So uh, interested to hear what you have to say about these guys. But admittedly. I don't go nearly as deep as you when it comes to the sleepers, man. I got to give you credit. You you really uh, you pull some crazy names out here, Craig. Yeah, you got to do it. That's I mean, listen, we have to come up with the unorthodox names, the names that uh, that people you know aren't really looking at. So, all right, so let's get started here. Uh, my first name will be uh, Jake Fraley. Who is Jake Fraley? <laughs> I will go through that conversation. Uh, former farmhand of the uh, Tampa Bay Rays and who has now uh, moved on to the Seattle Mariners. Now, look, I mean, Mitch Hanniger is very questionable for the start of the season, Frank. Uh, the left fielder for the Mariners, if I'm not mistaken, is slated to be Kyle Lewis. Domingo Santana is gone. All you really have is Malik Smith with any certainty. And then, of course, you have D. Gordon, who could potentially play the outfield as well. But last year, Fraley hit 19 home runs, 36% on base. And right now he's, believe it or not, uh, you know, basically slated to be a starter in the Mariners outfield. So look, am I drafting him in a 12-team league? Probably not. 15-team or why not just stash him on the bench and you can end up seeing what happens there. And it wouldn't shock me to see him get playing time. Remember, uh, some of this is for the only leagues, as you mentioned, Frank. There's no question about that. 
Uh, but I like to dive into it all and give people some, you know, sort of extra options on this as well. Um, okay, my second uh, sleeper will be someone that I get, got a good chance to see growing up in the Houston Astros organization, and then he went over in the Justin Verlander trade, and that is Daz Cameron. And if you recognize the name, of course, he is the son of Mike Cameron. And it took him a while. It really took him a while to get his feet under him, both offensively and defensively. But it looks like he's got the skill set of very similar to his father. Uh, stolen bases, some power, a lot of swing and miss. He struck out 152 times last year uh, in Toledo. He's got to cut that down. But the Tigers right now, Frank, they are a fantasy wasteland on that team offensively. Pitching, we know that they have Mize coming up. They also have Manning. But offensively on Detroit going into the season, this is a team that's poised to lose another 100 games. And I wonder if Daz Cameron ends up with 15 or 20 steals and comes up as, let's say, a super two, gets some extra uh, seasoning in the minor leagues in Toledo and AAA, maybe eventually gets to crack center field for this team in 2020. I think there's a chance of that. I would say that his over-under on steals for the season is probably 10 or 15. If you're if you're in an NFBC league of 50-round draft and hold or you're looking just to get some extra steals and runs on your team, I think he could provide that. And listen, with the pedigree of his father, Mike Cameron, Mike Cameron was a really good reality player and a great fantasy player, giving you 20 home runs and 20 steals a lot of different times over the course of his career. So I think there could be some playing time there. Detroit, again, you look at the additions that they made, C.J. Crone, sure, you know, they added him. They're not going to have him after July. You know that, Frank. The other players that they added, too, uh, Jonathan Scope's going to be in that same situation. They're going to trade him. A lot of chances to play offensively. Will Cameron end up being a star in the big leagues? I don't know, but I'm not looking for stars, Frank. I'm looking for sleepers, somebody who can have some sort of impact. And in the NFBC, you could basically scratch Cameron out in the 48th or 50th round if you want. He's not getting drafted at all. What's wrong, Craig? Cameron Mabin and uh, Jacoby Jones don't get it done for you in the uh, in the outfield for the Detroit Tigers. I like this call on Daz Cameron. Again, came over in the Justin Verlander trade. 17 stolen bases and 13 home runs. You're definitely right about the swing and miss. Struck out a lot last year. Only batted 214. So might hurt your batting average, but does have a little bit of power-speed combination. Uh, and same thing could be said for Jake Fraley. And according to Roster Resource, they have him penciled in as the starting right fielder right now for the Seattle Mariners. So yeah. Jake Fraley someone who can get an opportunity here with the Mariners. I was actually going to use his teammate, and you brought his name up, Kyle Lewis, as one of my sleepers because I think that the power is real. Uh, tested out very well in terms of his stat cast, his batted ball data last year. Hits the ball extremely hard, uh, but like Daz Cameron, also strikes out a massive amount. So Kyle Lewis maybe someone who can give you some pop, but definitely going to hurt the batting average as well. All right, Craig, the two sleepers that I have, and we've mentioned the name a few times here on the show, Dylan Carlson, one of the top prospects for the St. Louis Cardinals this upcoming season uh, in the Cardinals outfield right now. They have Tommy Edmond penciled in in left field. They have Dexter Fowler as well. Dylan Carlson, though, had a monster year last year in the minor leagues, wound up with 26 home runs and 20 stolen bases with a 914 OPS. And I think, you know, once we pass a few of those deadlines, May 1st, the middle of May, I think that we could see Dylan Carlson up and have a real big impact from a fantasy perspective here in his rookie season. We've seen a lot of rookies the past couple of years, Craig, come up and just take the league by storm. It wouldn't surprise me if Dylan Carlson is one of those for the St. Louis Cardinals who just continuously churn players out like this over and over and over. The other name that I wanted to bring up 
Trent Gresham, who got traded from the Milwaukee Brewers to the San Diego Padres. There's talk of him potentially starting in center field for the San Diego Padres. And remember, they gave up one of the top prospects in baseball uh, with Luis Urias. They traded him to the Milwaukee Brewers in this trade, and that was a big price tag to pay for Trent Grisham. Last year, there was a lot of talk about this. I listened to a few uh, Brewers broadcasts last year, how he reshaped his swing in the minor leagues, and that led to him hitting 26 home runs with 12 stolen bases, a 300 batting average, and an OPS over 1,000 in the minor leagues last year uh, between AA and AAA with the Milwaukee Brewers. So if he gets an opportunity to play every day with the Padres, which I think he will, could potentially be a plus contributor in batting average, has some pop, a little bit of speed as well. Uh, I think Trent Grisham here going outside the top 300, Craig, is someone that I'm going to be targeting, especially in these five outfielder leagues, which we typically play in. Yeah, I, I think both have a chance to play. I think Grisham more likely to start off the season with the big league team. I'm not sure that the Cardinals are going to have Dylan Carlson starting opening day for them in St. Louis. At least that's kind of uh, some of what I've heard is brewing. I'll be there tomorrow, so I'll get a better idea of that. But at least from some of the things that I've heard, they seem pretty comfortable going with a rotation right now, as it would appear. Uh, Lane Thomas. Um Austin Dean, Tommy Edmond, those are kind of the three options that are getting talked about the most. I don't I don't know if Carlson is an option for opening day. It may be a May or June thing, but uh, we'll see. I'll, I'll, I'll try to get some more info on that tomorrow when I'm there. It's much easier from there than it is from here. All right, my outfield busts in 2020. I mean, I'm giving you two easy ones here. These are just two guys to stay away from. Uh, A.J. Pollock's skills, Frank, have deteriorated. I think this ends up being a bad signing for the Dodgers. I mean, I don't even know if this guy's going to steal 15 bases anymore. Staying healthy has been a problem for him. He's playing in a great lineup. That is the only thing that A.J. Pollock has going on for him. I could see them honestly eating some money on him and moving him somewhere else in the middle of the season. Uh, look, once upon a time, he was your OF1 in fantasy. 20 home runs, 20 steals with Arizona. Guy can't stay healthy, can't stay on the field, and I think that his legs are starting to cost him here a little bit. So uh, I'm pretty much done with Pollock, and I'm done with drafting him in fantasy leagues. If you want 300 plate appearances of 10 steals and 8 home runs, he's your guy. I just don't think he's going to get more than that. It's just it's It's been a struggle for him to stay on the field. And then, of course, Yasiel Puig, Frank, will go back to him. He's the easiest bust to pick in fantasy right now. If you remember last week, we were sitting here talking about the report about him being close to signing somewhere, Colorado, White Sox. What happened to that report, Frank, right? That thing just uh, just disappeared. You know why? This guy doesn't want to sign with anybody. He doesn't want to play. If Yasiel Puig really wanted to play, he'd be on a team right now. Maybe he wants to miss all of spring training. Fantastic. So you know what that means, Frank? Guy's got to play in AAA and AA to start the season. We won't even see him till May. You're right about Colorado. If he ends up in Colorado, it would seem to be ideal. But how many players with no spring trainings whatsoever end up having good years? It is not optimal. I, you should not be taking Puig in a slow draft. A lot of people fell victim to that last week when we heard the rumor about the Rockies. Here we are a week later. Nothing's happened. Puig, to me, is a bust. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that when he doesn't have a job right now, right? When it comes to Yasiel Puig. And I'm going to piss off a few of my Yankee fan friends here, but I've, I'm going with two of them. 
both the big boppers, Aaron Judge wow. and Giancarlo Stanton. Frank, what kind of Yankee fan are you? It just comes down to the cost. I don't like where these guys are going in drafts right now. Aaron Judge has not been able to stay healthy. You have to use a top three-round pick on him. And in OBP leagues, I get it. He's going to help you. He's going to be a better contributor there than in batting average leagues. But I just worry about the health for both of these players. Uh, and typically, you know, the skill sets that they offer are not ones that I target earlier on in drafts, Craig. I told you that I am putting an emphasis on batting average, stolen bases early, because you can get guys later on who do similar things to Aaron Judge and Stanton. You can get Jorge Soler 30 picks later than Stanton, and I think he's probably going to hit 40 home runs once again with a batting average that's similar to Giancarlo Stanton, 260, 270, whatever it might be for Soler. Look at Chris Davis. He's going outside the top 170 picks right now, Craig, and he's going to hurt your batting average, but he's also going to give you 40 home runs as long as he's healthy. I am out on the Bronx Bombers this upcoming season, Craig. Wow, both of them. You would think one, but both, Frank. My gosh. Poor guy. All right, uh, home run props coming up next. We're going to dive into a number of players, including... Uh, Bo Bichette, Dansby Swanson, Brian Reynolds. How many home runs for them this year? We'll tell you next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Frank Stanford. Welcome back, Fantasy Sports Today. Craig and Frank here with you until 1 o'clock on the East. Great to be back with you here on a Tuesday on tomorrow's show. Uh, Frank will be at the controls. We'll have Matt Modica here. Also, my interview with Miles Straw. So, a little bit of a fantasy preview of his upcoming season and uh, trying to hone in on those steals. I'm always trying to find out who are those guys that can give you a little bit of extra running. It's such a huge commodity now in fantasy with it going down significantly every single year. Maybe Miles Straw is that guy. Maybe he gets you two, 300 plate appearances this season because with that, he's going to steal 30, 40 bases. This guy is one of the fastest players in the game. So we'll have an interview with him tomorrow on the show. Uh, all right, Frank, so uh, ready to dive into a little uh, home run props. Now, these are from... The Superbook at the Westgate Hotel in uh, Las Vegas. And I know that last week we did some of the higher-end home run guys, and we're going to dive a little bit lower today. Love your opinion on these, and maybe you can tell me if you're going to get down on any of these either. Yeah, uh, I know right now the FanDuel Sportsbook doesn't necessarily offer uh, home run over-unders, but they do have you know props on who is going to lead baseball in home runs. So I've already started to sure. look into that, and I've found – you know, a few names that really stand out to me, uh, Miguel Sano is one, Matt Olson is one. So I'm going to start to dive into those and find some season-long future props here, uh, both, both from a player perspective, from a team perspective. I have a few long shots to win divisions and a few uh, regular season win totals I'm looking at as well. So as we get closer to the regular season, I will start submitting those and I'll get those in and we can start talking about them here, Craig. All right, very good. Maybe we'll pair up. You and I will go in on one together. We'll see. All right, so uh, let's start off with uh, JT Real Muto. His home run total, Frank, is sitting at 23 and a half. Uh, we know the situation with JT at this point, looking for a new contract, uh, potentially could be playing with one opening day. Maybe he won't. Maybe he'll be playing for free agency. This is pretty much where his number has been. Where are you going? Over or under on this? 
Oh man, I think this is a really good number. This is, I think this is a perfect number. You look at all the projection systems on Fangraphs; they all have them projected for between 23 and 25 home runs, which is right here yeah. on the number. So, uh, if I was looking at this myself, I would probably stay away. I would probably lean with the under. He's only gone over this number once. He did that last year with 25 home runs. The previous year's 21 homers back in 2018. 17 home runs back in 2017. Now, he does hit in a better ballpark now with the Phillies rather than when he played in Marlins Park at the time. I realized that. But catchers, again, they can be more prone to injuries. They're constantly getting nicked up. They're getting hit by foul tips. I mean, things can just... It's much easier for an injury to occur to a catcher, in my opinion, than other positions here, Craig. So this would be a stay away for me, and I would probably lean to the under. But it's a really, really good number at 23 and a half. Yeah, and also a fair point on your part with uh, with injury factors. If if you're going to bet an over under and a player has some propensity to get hurt, you're always uh, best to go under. Not that JT has that, but again, the catching position is a little bit t- a lot tougher than uh, than other positions as well. But you know me, I'll go over on JT always. Uh, Jose Altuve, 22 and a half home runs, Frank. We've seen him go over this one. The numbers have been. You know, some pullback on Altuve, and of course, with the the off-the-field stuff going on, we don't know how that's going to be reacted to as well. Uh, This is not a big number for him to get to at 22.5. He's done it before. What do you think on this one? Under the total or over? I would lean slightly over on the 22.5. It does seem a little bit low when it comes to Jose Altuve, but this is another player where I think you have to factor in the potential for injuries. Last year, 124 games played. The year before, 137 games played. He's dealt with some knee injuries. He's dealt with some hamstring injuries, uh, which obviously is going to affect his stolen base output this year, which is why I'm currently fading him in fantasy baseball. Uh, Alex Bregman seems to think that Jose Altuve is going to steal 30 bases. We heard that yesterday on the show. Uh, But I would lean with the over here. 31 home runs last year. He went over this number three of his last four seasons. He had 24 home runs in each of 2016 and 2017. He just has to stay healthy. I don't think he's going to hit 30 again. His home run to fly ball ratio was much higher last year than it ever was in his career. That kind of seems to me like it, it would be juice ball related. We don't we don't know what ball we're going to get in 2020. So you know, right. that's just another factor here in the equation. But I would lean with the over. This is probably a stay away just because I think he is probably going to miss some time again this year uh, based on the injuries he's faced. Uh, he's dealt with the past couple of seasons, Craig. Okay. Um, Yeah, I think I would lean under two as well on Altuve. I mean, 20 would be a good season for him. You know, no one would be upset. And that's still under what uh, the Westgate has him at. All right. So now here's an interesting one here and and one that I think that we could dive a little bit deeper into. Uh, Ryan McMahon of the Colorado Rockies, his number is 20 and a half. Now, last year he hit 24 home runs. But going into the season, Frank, if I would have said, all right, here are are the Rockies rookies, right? We got uh, Brandon Rogers. You'd probably would have said, oh, he'll have a great year. Well, I'll tell you what. What if not? Then who's the other guy? Oh, it's Hampson, right? What if not? Who's the third guy? Ryan McMahon? I mean, this guy got called up last year, hit 24 home runs, 83 runs driven in, uh, struck out a ton. And I got to tell you, I would probably lean under on this total, Frank. I mean, does Ryan McMahon have really the kind of leash to have a rough April and May without these kids coming, without Hampson there, without Rodgers there again? I, I think it's a little bit of fool's gold here with him. I know he had the great year, and I commend anybody who picked him up off waiver wire using Fab or even drafted him late in a draft, but I don't think a lot of people saw this coming, and I'm probably going to go against it again with Ryan McMahon this year. 
I understand your hesitancy when it comes to Ryan McMahon. I mean, you have concerns over playing time. He struggles against left-handed pitching as well. But he plays in Colorado, Craig. So I think you have to feel a little bit better about that. It balances out here. I actually like the over on this one. It's probably the one that I like most so far. I had 24 home runs last year. And and as a second baseman, had a 44% hard contact rate. Someone who really, really graded out well in terms of the stat cast data. uh, Averaged 95.8 miles per hour on his fly balls and line drives last year that was inside the top 35 among all qualified hitters uh, last season was Ryan McMahon he plays in Colorado I think you have to factor that in Uh, I feel pretty good about the playing time for once when it comes to Ryan McMahon I hope they don't mess around too much I know they have Garrett Hampson there and you know there's talk of Nolan Arenado potentially being traded but you know give me the Rockies man give me the Rockies going over here I like this number for Ryan McMahon I'll take over 20 and a half Craig okay yeah and look if Arenado gets traded it's a completely different story it it opens up the door for McMahon I just think that if he struggles in April and May I think that you know there's a potential replacement coming down the line so I would worry about that um okay Aquino on the Reds uh took the world by storm last year his total is 20 and a half there was a report that we talked about last year that the Reds I mean why they would even put this out I don't even know but look a reporter's doing his job for sure notes that Aquino still has an option he could start the season in the minor leagues we know the Reds outfield is stacked is it always healthy you know, that's another story. I mean, I would be so surprised if they if they didn't start off the season with Aquino batting cleanup or batting it third in the lineup after what he did last year. Look, if it's a failure, you'll know pretty quickly, oh, man, this is a tough one, 20 and a half. If he plays 130 games, this is going way over. But is there a software slump coming, you think, for him? Yeah, I'm worried about this number with Aquino. And I do think it's a good number because there's such a range of outcomes here, right, Craig? I mean, there's so much volatility with Aquino this upcoming season. You don't know if he's going to be on the opening day roster for the Cincinnati Reds. You mentioned that he has options. That's something that's been talked about. They've made a bunch of signings this season as well. You know, bringing in Nick Castellanos and signing Shogo Akiyama, a team that typically doesn't spend that much money. The Cincinnati Reds spent more money in this offseason than any other offseason in their history. So, so they're clearly going for it this year. Uh, I worry about Aquino, man. When he first came up, he had 14 home runs in the month of August, and then in September, wound up only hitting five home runs with a 618 OPS. His strikeout rate started to climb as well. Uh, he might be able to do this, go over this number in, in a two-month span, Craig. I mean, the guy has power like that, nicknamed the Punisher because of what he did to baseballs last year. Mm, this is... There's a lot of volatility involved with this one. It's a stay away. I would probably lean under. I like the moves that the Cincinnati Reds made. Uh, We haven't even mentioned Nick Senzel. I mean, maybe Nick Senzel gets some plate appearances in the outfield. I know uh, that um, Jesse Winker is dealing with the injury right now, but he's going to be in the mix in the outfield as well. There's a lot of moving parts with this one. It's a stay away and probably an under for me, Craig. Yeah, it is just too volatile. And the other part of it, too, is like you could see yourself with a you know a $50 bill standing at the window on the last day before baseball has to make their decision on who makes the roster. You know, you hear that he's not there, and then you you know you get that in as fast as you can. And then you think about it, and, and Aquino hit all those home runs in the second half of the season. Aquino may not even have to play in April and still goes over this number pretty easily. So I agree, too volatile for uh, for me as well. All right, uh, Bo Bichette's number is 17 and a half. He hit 11 in like 50 games last year. So just extrapolating those numbers, looks like he's a 30 home run guy. But the problem, Frank, is that he has never, ever shown this kind of power in the minor leagues. 
So is what we saw last year legit? Was it just September baseball? I would have to lean toward the under. How can I bet on something that's never been done before? Bichette's been in the minor leagues for four years. Like 14 home runs, the most he's ever hit. I cannot go over 17 and a half. I can't do it. Well, Craig, if you combine his Major League Baseball numbers and his AAA numbers, he would have had 19 home runs last year, which would have gone over this number. I, I like going over here with Bo Bichette. I, I trust the bat here. I think that, you know, as he continues to age and grow a little bit, he's going to grow into some more power. I think we could see some of that as early as this season. You look at the projection systems over on Fangraphs, they all have him between 19 and 22 home runs, which would put him over this number. And Let's be honest, the Blue Jays, I think they're going to give him a very long leash. Even if he struggles early on, I think that they're going to give him every opportunity to play through those struggles. And they're a young team between Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and, and Kevin Biggio and Lourdes Guerrero Jr. They're all growing together, which I think is fun from a baseball perspective. Uh, from a fantasy perspective, I think he's being drafted a little bit too high right now. There might be a little bit too much helium on Bo Bichette, but I like this number. I like going over this number here, Craig. Okay, fair enough on that. And um, we'll have more of these tomorrow and throughout the week. We'll dive into Otani's over-under and some other players in fantasy baseball as well. Coming up next, we'll wrap things up. Uh, Frank is in the great fantasy baseball invitational. I have a slow draft going on as well. We'll update you on who we have. Frank's at the beginning. I'm at the end. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Frank Stanford. All right, welcome back. Fantasy Sports Today. Craig and Frank back with you here on the show until 1 o'clock east, 10 o'clock on the west. Frank, uh, we got the Fantasy BFFs coming to you live here on Sports Grid at 3 o'clock eastern. What is on the menu today? So I, I guess you eat lunch, I'm guessing, right after the show is over, and then you stick around and do that show. Does that sound accurate? Yes, that is uh, that is completely accurate. I usually eat my lunch one or two o'clock every single day between the shows here, uh, and I, I currently have to find what to eat. Maybe maybe a little Taco Bell here, Craig. Taco Tuesday. We've got an outfield preview, uh, not an outfield preview. We have a starting pitcher preview coming up on the BFFs later today. Gotcha. We're going to go over our top twenty starting pitchers, both Greg Sussman and myself. Uh, that's starting pitcher preview part one. We'll have starting pitcher preview part two tomorrow. We'll dive in more so to the middle rounds and the late round sleepers as well. So today top 20 starting pitchers on the fantasy bfs okay excellent and uh i know that you started the great fantasy baseball invitational and um how many picks are you through what did you what, what was your strategy what'd you end up doing so far yeah, so I am currently three picks into the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational. I have three picks is what I mean. So we have three rounds already completed here with the Great okay. Fantasy Baseball Invitational. It's a 15-team roto. It's a similar format to what Craig is playing in in the Tout Wars draft and hold, except we do have waiver wire moves with this league, and it's batting average instead of on-base percentage. So basically I was at pick 11, Craig, and I was debating. You know, I knew one of those big-name shortstops were going to make it to me, one of the Lindor story uh Trey Turner trio, and I was also debating Justin Verlander. So I was looking at one of the shortstops. I was looking at Verlander because I really like starting my team off with one of those aces this year. I just really like the hitter value that you get in both rounds two and three and sure. even some of those middle round guys. Uh, I wound up taking Trey Turner 
at pick 11, which obviously helps with the stolen bases. And I still think that we haven't seen the best out of Trey Turner. He hasn't put it all together for one entire season and stayed healthy for an entire season. But if he ever does, we could see 20 to 25 home runs, 40-plus stolen bases with a good batting average, uh, and solid counting stats as well. Especially if he bats third in that lineup, we could see increased RBIs as well. Uh, And then coming back in the second round, and I'll throw this back your way here, Craig, and you let me know if I was overthinking this one a little bit too much. Fernando Tatis was still on the board in the second round, and his ADP at, at the NFBC has, you know, he's been going around the, the turn at, at the 15-16 pick. He right. you know, yeah. rarely makes it out of the first round. So he's staring at me there in the second round. Uh, I did want one of Max Scherzer or J.D. Martinez. Both of those players went the two picks before me in the second round. Uh, so I'm staring at Fernando Tatis, and I'm thinking, do I really want to start my draft with two shortstops? It just seems like it throws everything else off for the rest of the draft. And then if there's shortstop value later on, you can't even take that player because then you have to plug them in at utility and you you clog up your middle infield spot. So it would have been a fun start with Turner and Fernando Tatis, but I opted to go with Rafael Devers instead uh, because I didn't want to clog up the shortstop and middle infield uh, too early right. here. Do you think I was overthinking it, Craig? No, I, I don't think so. I, I don't have a huge problem with, with even taking uh, two shortstops or two middle infielders in that spot, but it does make some sense. And by the way, I mean, look, Devers, if he comes close to what he did last year, is like, I mean, almost in a tier of his own. He's, I mean, he's a superstar in the big leagues. I mean, he really put it all together last year. So uh, you kind of lock up one of the top two or top three third basemen. You lock up one of the top uh, shortstops, if not the top shortstop in fantasy, definitely in the top three for sure. And you get some steals, you get some power, and then uh, what'd you do after that? Yeah, I ended up taking Patrick Corbin with my third-round pick, and you yeah, could talk about Corbin too. as well. Yeah. I mean, you took him in Tout Wars, and you got to see him pitch last year with the Washington Nationals as you're covering the Miami Marlins. And, you know, I think some people were apprehensive on Corbin last year because he, you know, really broke out in 2018 with the Diamondbacks. A lot of people didn't know if he was going to be able to repeat that performance, but he came pretty damn close to doing exactly that with the Washington Nationals last year. He's now pitched 200 innings in back-to-back seasons. He's given you over 200 strikeouts in back-to-back seasons. The whip was up a little bit last year uh, because the walks were up for Corbin. So if he can bring those walks back down a little bit and you know give us a 1-1-5 whip, I would enjoy that a lot more than the 1-2-1 he gave us a year ago. But I'm buying into Patrick Corbin as a top 12 starting pitcher. I don't have a problem with him being the SP1. Uh, and just going back to Devers real quick, I, I was debating him or Bryce Harper. I wound up I wound up taking Rafael Devers because I think they give you similar power numbers and I think Devers' batting average is just going to be better, probably you know twenty maybe even thirty points better than Bryce Harper. So uh, that was the reasoning there, uh, and I took Patrick Corbin over Giolito and Charlie Morton uh, just to put that in perspective. Yeah. And uh, I was looking at Kettle Marte, but man, starting your draft with three hitters and then you know kind of piecing together your starting pitching. I couldn't pull the trigger. Uh, I wanted some starting pitching there, and probably going to take another starting pitcher here in the fourth round, Craig. Yeah, I had that dilemma when uh, when I was drafting too. It was very similar uh, for me too. All right, so uh, the antithesis of the beginning of the draft is this NFBC draft that we're in right now, and um, we're in the like twenty second, twenty third round, something like that. So I'll just run off the picks at you, Frank, and and you can tell me if uh, you like any of them or if you don't. I'll start off with the twenty first round. So my SP5 is going to be Josh Lindblom of the Brewers, who I know nothing about. But I figure if I'm going to throw a dart, I may as well do it at the end. And clearly the Brewers didn't upgrade their pitching at all. 
So uh, maybe Lindblom is their second or third best starter. Maybe I, I'm not even sure where he. I know Woodruff is definitely their best one, right? But beyond that, maybe Lindblom is good. Maybe he's not. If not, then I just won't play him. But he's my SP5. So that was round 21. Round 22, I took Gerard Dyson, and he'll be. And he's. Uh, I already have five outfielders, so he's my utility guy, and I'll take another outfielder just in case he doesn't play a lot. I would guess he'll get traded in July, and then he won't hold value after that. So that was the 22nd round. Uh, 23rd round, I took James McCann of the White Sox, the guy that I ripped yesterday here on the show. Um, <laughs> I was going to bring that up. I said, didn't you have him as your bus, Craig? And you I, just did, took him. I, I did. I did. I did. But you know what? There were no other. Uh, Zanino went, and then I was like, there's no other uh, you know, catcher. So I have Real Muto, and so I just want James McCann to like basically not play a lot and just give me halfway decent numbers. I don't really care about his counting numbers. Kind of goes against what I said. Honestly, you're right. But... I, I didn't see any other catchers left to take. I just, I didn't see it. Uh, 24th round, I just made my pick here, Frank, a few minutes ago. Uh, another guy I took uh, that, I, that I went against and now I'm taking here in the draft, Marco Gonzalez. So uh, Marco Gonzalez will be essentially by SP6. And uh, that's where we're at here in the, in the 24th round. I have a 25th round pick, probably not for like hours at this point. And so any of those guys, any interest? Any interest in Lynn Bloom at all? Yeah, Limbloom is the latest of uh, players who have come back from Korea uh, after you know being a failed starter in the major leagues, going over to Korea, putting up phenomenal numbers, and then coming back. Uh, someone like a Miles uh, Michaelis and someone like uh, Merrill Kelly as well, who we've seen come back the past couple of years. You know, last year in Korea, 194 innings, 2.50 ERA, got a ton of strikeouts last year as well, 189 strikeouts. So hoping some of that success can translate. I don't mind taking a shot. I probably wouldn't want him as one of my starting you know, one of my starting five or six pitchers in in my roto lineup, but uh, someone on the bench that you could stash and see what happens. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, I think their second best starter is probably Adrian Hauser. He is someone that I am looking at in drafts that I am excited about what we saw last year. Has a little bit of swing and miss, and we saw some strikeouts out of Hauser. And for whatever reason, the Brewers don't really care much about starting pitching, Craig. They don't. They don't really care much about defense either. They had, you know, Moustakis and Travis Shaw playing second base the past couple of seasons. They care about offense. And they also have, you know, Josh Hader at the back end of the bullpen. That helps. But their starting pitching outside of Woodruff really, really leaves a lot to be desired for the Milwaukee Brewers uh, this upcoming season. Gerard Dyson, someone that I've been targeting in these draft and hold leagues because probably going to give you 25 stolen bases He's this season play. with yeah. the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, and, you know, James McCann, you brought up James McCann. What was interesting, and I've never seen anything like this, Craig. I don't know about you, but Christian Vasquez got taken in round 22. Then you took Gerard Dyson. From your 22nd round pick to your 23rd round pick, 12 ca- catchers went off the board. 12. I mean, I've I heard of a catcher running happening, I ha- but... I had, a bunch of, I had a bunch of guys in the queue. I had this like is, four guys as my backup catcher. I mean, this is like the, a different definition of, of getting sniped here, Craig, because you, you got sniped for 12 catchers in a row. Whoever you added to your Suzuki, queue ended yeah, up getting Suzuki. taken. Mejia, Sean Murphy, Buster Pozzi, yeah, Danny Jansen, Robinson Chirinos, Travis Darno, Jason Castro, Roberto Perez, Yadier Molina, Kurt Suzuki, Mike Zanino... All of those catchers went between your 22nd and 23rd round pick. So uh, I can't blame you for taking James McCann there. You just you got caught on the back end of that run. And I it was, did. It was just unfortunate. That was, I've seen runs before, but that, that one's unprecedented. It is. It is. All right. Uh, before we get out of here, I want to comment here. I have something uh, that I want to end the show with, uh, with a little exit velocity. I feel the need. 
exit velocity. Nice velocity. All right, let's wrap up the show with a little exit velo. So here is my take at the end of the show. This Tout Wars draft and hold draft that we're in, it is taking forever. And I get it, but the rules were stated before we started. There is no clock whatsoever. So you can take as long as you want to make a pick. But yet, we're sitting in this draft room and in this chat room, and we have constant bitching and complaining from, like, the same two guys over and over. Like, literal comments. I'm going to be driving to the grocery store, so for the next 30 minutes, I will be unable to pick. Who cares? Who cares? I can't sit at my computer the entire day and just waiting for somebody to make a pick. I'm so happy that people have at least notified me and told me when it's my turn to pick because then, of course, I log on and I go ahead and I make the pick. Better yet, there's no notification whatsoever to tell you when you're up. So when am I supposed to know? When I'm sitting in a clubhouse and I'm interviewing a player, should I say, hey, Alex Bregman, stop. I got to go ahead and make my pick of Josh Lindblom? Please. The kind of job that I have, I'm on the road. I'm not always home. I'm sorry that I can't make the pick, and I'm sorry that I've taken approximately an hour to make all of my picks. But the bottom line is this. This, these were the rules going into the draft. There's no time limit. Put a clock on it. Four hours, six hours, eight, 10, 12, and I'm in. Make it 10 minutes. Just let me know when I'm in. Otherwise, I'm going to take my time. I will take advantage of what the rules are. So if you are chatting and you want to say, oh, Craig Mish takes forever or this guy takes forever, guess what? Get out of the league. And by the way, the people who were chatting about this, you never win leagues anyway. So what are you bitching about? The extra time to make the right pick. Thanks again to Frank Stample and Chris Pavona. Greg Mish, we'll see you tomorrow here on Fantasy Sports Today. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.